start this morning with a little disclaimer. Anybody that knows me, even those that know me actually might not know how bad it is. I am probably one of the most OCD people you've ever met in your life. I'm very routine, which means every Saturday I eat the exact same thing, knowing that on Sunday I have to preach, and every Sunday I go to the exact same place to get a biscuit, even if I don't eat that biscuit, because I'm not eating like that, I still go to the drive-thru, and I order that biscuit, and I order that drink, and I make my same sorry joke about them being slow to the exact same lady that I've been doing it to for 15 years now. That's my routine. I get to the building, and I go next door to my office, and I have a, even down to how I print my sermon, is routine. I'm just a very routine person. I'm that way with every event that I put on. I just have habits that I create. And when I get out of that zone, there's no telling what's going to happen. So let me go ahead and give you a disclaimer. I am way out of my zone this morning. So I had the man flu. It happened about Friday, about 12 o'clock. And it was probably wasn't that bad to a normal person. But to me, it basically meant I slept about 30 of the last 48 hours. I whined all weekend long. I had a fever. I had chills. Um, thought I was dying. I think it was pretty accurate. I think like 102 temperature means you're going to die at any moment. Called my mom, told her I loved her. Sorry for so much stuff I had done in my life to her. Told the kids I loved them. And I laid my head down Friday night preparing not to wake up Saturday morning. Much to my surprise, I did because that's how tough I am. And I fought it through it. Got up. I was still out of it Saturday. I sent my sermon to Xander which is my routine. The problem is I sent a sermon that I wrote about five years ago to Xander, not the sermon for this week. And uh, this morning printed up that sermon, began to look at it and realized it was a sermon from about five years ago. I had pulled that sermon up to pull some notes from it. So we're going to wing today's message. So not only have I not been feeling good and I'm strung out on cold medicine, I've got the the sticky sweats, nothing's making much sense right now. And then we got to do something different at the end of the service that I'm really excited about. So here's the deal. If the sermon is good today, it was planned. If the sermon makes no sense today, then we're blaming it on the cold medicine and we're going to be real good. So if this is your first time and you're like, that guy doesn't make any sense and I think he's of the devil, I'm not coming back, we would ask you to come back at least one more week. We're in the last week of a series that we've been calling La Familia around here, and we've been talking about the power of family, the power of a group of people coming together, not because they were born into it, but because they chose to be part of it. Deep inside of every single one of us is the desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We realize that while by ourselves we can accomplish a lot, we realize that to be part of something bigger, we can accomplish so much more. Every great movement, whether a good movement or a bad movement, happened when a group of people came together and they put away their differences, they put away their preferences, they put away their own egos, and they decided, you know what, together we're going to accomplish something that we believe in. And so we've been talking about this thing thing called Action Church, this thing called Action Church that makes zero sense. You just don't start a church in the ghetto of whatever city you live in and expect it to flourish. Matter of fact, that's the exact opposite of what most churches do nowadays. Most churches are leaving the city. They're moving to the outskirts of their town where the golf course communities are, where the country clubs are, where, dare I say, 
the money is, and they're building their empires and more power to their calling. But when we started Action Church, we said, here's the deal. We're going to move to the poorest part of town in the center of our city, and we're just going to love people unconditionally. We don't care what they've been through. We're not worried about what they're going through. We're not worried about what they're going to go through. We're not worried about their social standing. We're not worried about the color of their skin. We're not worried about their sexual preference. We just decided we were going to love people no matter what. And that's what we've done. We decided that we were not going to be a church that gives a bunch of lip service and talks about what they're going to do. We were going to be a church that the minute you heard our name, you knew what we were about. We were about taking action in our community. And that's the reason we run a food pantry that's probably the largest food pantry in the city. It's the reason we run a clothing closet. It's the reason during the winter months we're the only warming shelter for those that are displaced, those that are homeless, maybe those that live on the outskirts of the town that don't have enough money to even have heat in their home. They know they can come here, they can get a warm meal, they can get a hot cot, and they can leave the next morning knowing that they got a good night's sleep. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't look good on paper. It's kind, I tell people all the time, it's church for the unchurched. That doesn't make a lot of sense. If you were to go to an investor in a business idea and say, hey, I got this great business idea. I want you to invest in it. I'm telling you it's the greatest business idea ever, and I want you to invest in it. And you told them, here's the business idea. I'm going to start a steakhouse for vegetarians. They would look at you like you were crazy. They would look at you like it makes no sense. That's kind of what church for the unchurched sounds like. We didn't start this church to get people from other churches. We didn't start this church for the already convinced. Now make no mistake about it, we have some people out there that fit that description and we're so thankful for those people. But they come in knowing it's not about them. They know they come through these doors, and when they decide, man, I want to be part of La Familia, they realize, man, immediately it no longer becomes about them, and it becomes about reaching those on the outside. And so we've talked about this thing of ours. We've talked about how this thing of ours works if we work it. And make no mistake about it, it's work. Anytime you get a group of people together to get, I don't care if it's a group of three people. Let me rephrase it. I don't care if it's two people. How many of you are in a relationship? How many of you are in a relationship? How many of you on a regular basis can't even agree on where you're going to go eat dinner? Now, man, let's be honest. Here's what she tells you. I don't care where we go. You choose. And then you choose, but I don't want that. Literally, I'm telling you, in Christina, in my life, this is probably the thing that in six years, five years, whatever, how long it's been, has been the thing that has led to some fights. Because Christine's whole thing is, I don't choose restaurants. But by God, you can name 20 restaurants, and she doesn't want those. And then she pulls this line that doesn't even make sense. I don't know what I want but I know what I don't want. Well, we live in freaking Canton. There's only 21 restaurants, and I've named 20 of them. So you knew what you wanted. You wanted the one restaurant I didn't mention. So we even tried this thing. We tried to come at peace because I'm a problem solver. This is how hard it is to get people on the same page. We implemented this rule in the Lamb House. It lasted for about three days. And the rule was this. 
one person chooses three restaurants, then the other person has to pick from those three restaurants. That works really good until I wanted Mexican one night, and I named three Mexican restaurants. <laughs> Christine didn't want Mexican. And needless to say, the three rule is out the door at the Lamb House. My point being, it is hard to get people on the same page. So you can imagine how difficult it is in this setting. We have people on the wide spectrum. We have people that live in half-million-dollar homes who attend this church. And we literally have people, literally, who live in the woods. We have people in this church that are straight and people in this church that are gay. We have people in this church that have been involved in church their entire life. And we have people that attend this church every week that are actually atheists, don't even believe in God. We have people on this church that think Donald Trump is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we have people in this church who think Donald Trump is Satan himself. We have black people and white people, poor people and rich people. Man, we have people from all different types of backgrounds. And so what I'm trying to tell you is getting a group like this on the same page is a lot of work. But anything worth doing in life is worth working for. Because the power that comes from the diversity of a group like this literally is the power that can change a community. See, the problem with church is church has become the most segregated place on Sunday morning. You go to the white church or the black church or the contemporary church or the traditional church or the straight church or the Baptist church or the Methodist church. And what really what we at the end of the day do is, is we go to the church where everyone looks like us. We say we buy into the vision, but we really don't even know the vision. We just know that the vision is, man, everybody looks like us, and it's safe, and it's comfortable, and I'm down. It doesn't make me uneasy. Someone told me one time, they said, I was so uneasy the first time I came in Action Church. I thought I should be packing. And they said, but man, then I realized the people that were the scariest were the nicest. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when we get past that outer shell. There's power in this room to change our city. I believe with everything that is in me, and this isn't lip service, I, I'm not saying this because I have to say it, because that's just not how I roll. I believe there's power in this room to end homelessness in our community. I believe there's power in this room to end kids going to bed every night with an empty stomach. I believe there's power in this room to do whatever it can to fight addiction like nobody else has fought addiction. If I didn't believe those things, no offense to you, I wouldn't do it. As much as I love you guys, you're not the easiest group to pastor. Now, in your defense, I'm not the easiest pastor to have. So it's a two-way street. I accept that both ways. But in this room is the power to do amazing things. And this thing of ours can be powerful if we work this thing of ours. And we've been talking about some of the characteristics. We talked about the subject of honor. We talked about the subject of loyalty. We talked about the subject of unconditional love. 
And I wanted today to talk about the subject of being united and why we do what we do around here. Because at the end of the day, for whatever you join, whether it's a motorcycle club or it's a gangbanger gang or whether it is the Moose Lodge or whether it is the, uh, what's the old ladies that wear the red hats and go out all the time, whatever it is you join, when you join a group of people, you join that group of people because you're united in a purpose, whatever that purpose may be. And when a group of people get together and there is no united purpose, that group will soon fall apart. I love that they did that song today. I didn't know they were doing that song today, and they had no clue what I was preaching today. But it's a powerful question, because if God was one of us, if Jesus Christ was here today in 2019, what would he be doing Where would he be hanging out? Who would he be rolling with? Who would be his boys? Where would he be seen at? Well, based on what we see in the Bible, I just can't help but believe he'd be hanging out in a place like Action Church. I I believe he'd be getting his hands dirty. In the Bible, he was called a friend of sinners. I always think it's funny. They said him a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Like there was two categories of horrible. You were a sinner... And you were a tax collector. If you work for the IRS, I'm just telling you what the Bible said. That's not my personal opinion. Please do not look into Gary Lamb Incorporated. <laughs> now you can look into it. i got a good accountant. But um, we got to get on the same page. The Bible says where there is no vision, in Proverbs 29, where there is no vision, the people perish. That's a powerful verse. Where there is no vision... The people perish. Where there is nothing to buy into, the people live their lives like the walking dead. Where there's not something bigger than themselves to believe in, and we live in a world that's looking for something to believe in, and they just don't realize that what they're looking for is Jesus because the church has done such a great job of making them think it's not Jesus. The church has done such a great job of running them off. The church has done such a good job of judging them. The church has done such a good job of making them feel unwelcome. The church has done such a great job of making them feel unworthy. They're looking to every Everything and anything but Jesus. And that's disgusting. The church in general should fall on its face and repent. We've Americanized the church. And the church looks like a lot of things, but it looks more like a corporation than it does what I see in the Bible. The church in the book of Acts was organic It was raw. It was unfiltered. It was uncensored. It was full of people that we would freak out if they walked in the doors of our church today. The early church, in every sense of the word, was a rebellion. The church was the rebellion, not the outlaws as the rebellion. The church said, this is what's normal and we rebel against it, and Jesus is the answer. And now the church is safe and sanitary and educated beyond its reason. You say, you're against education? No, I'm all for education. But the problem is some of us get so educated that we're so busy educating ourselves that we're not putting anything into action. 
You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't put it into action, it means nothing. So if we're going to be the La Familia that God expects us to be, and we're going to change the community like we have, we've got to have the things we've talked about, honor, unconditional love, loyalty, all those things. But we've got to know what the purpose is. We've got to know what the mission is. Jesus said this in John 17, 18. I don't know if it's up there. As you sent me in the world, I have sent them to the world. So Jesus said, hey, as God sent me here, I'm now sending you there. And I'm sending you with the same mission that I had. So if we had the same mission that Jesus Christ had, it would probably behoove us to know what that mission is. And there's a lot of talk about what Jesus did while he was on the face of the earth. Because Jesus walked around and he taught thousands. And he healed the sick. And he made the blind to see. And he fed the hungry. He even brought the dead back to life. And he performed all these great miracles and did all these great things that we love to emphasize and we love to preach about. But none of them are the reason Jesus came. All those things were just to set people up to get them into a position where they were willing to listen to the reason that he came in the first place. <laughs> he just said, I, I came here and I had a mission and I'm taking that mission and now I'm passing it down to my followers. And if we're ever going to be the church that we got to be, we got to be on the same page when it comes to that. I've, told this, I've said this from day one. Phil's not here today, so we can't cringe. Phil gets upset every time I say this. But if the mission is not for you, find me after the service and I'll help you find a church that fits what you feel your mission is. I'd rather have 25 people here every Sunday who are all in, sold out, balls to the wall, to the vision and the mission than 200-something people who are just here because it's the cool place to be. Here's the mission of Jesus Christ, very simply. The Bible says in Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There's no other reason Jesus came. Yes, he taught. Yes, he upset the religious. One of my personal favorite things that he did. Yes, he, he attacked the structure of the day. Yes, he pointed people back to what the true gospel was. Yes, he healed the sick. Yes, he made the blind to see. But at the end of the day, yes, he broke bread with those people wouldn't break bread with. But everything was to set up the mission that he had to seek and to save the lost. He was never sidetracked. Any story you show me of Jesus, I can show you how it was simply a part of the process to put himself in a position to seek those that don't know God. God has left us here on this earth to carry out his mission. We live in a day and time where there's a movement in the church, and it's called the worshiping church. And listen, I am all for being a worshiping church. We serve a God who is worthy of our worship. We serve a God who's worthy of our praise. We serve a God that we have minimized and we've turned him into our buddy. Instead of the holy reigning king, I believe he's worthy of our worship. But let me burst your bubble for a moment. He didn't leave us here to worship. We can do that in heaven. If that was our sole purpose here, does that mean we shouldn't worship? Absolutely not. That Everything we do is worship. But that's not why we're left here. We can worship in heaven. 
There was this movement in the church back about 10 years ago. It was a big small group movement. It was a community movement. We're left here to do community with others. And I think community with others is powerful. And I think community with others is amazing. And if you don't have people you're doing community with, you're missing out on huge blessings of being a Christ follower. But make no mistake about it, the best place you can do community with other believers is not here. It would be uh, heaven. Where you're in constant community with believers. The only thing on this earth that we can't do in heaven is do whatever it takes to reach those that are far from God. We're left here not for our own devices. We're left here to carry out the mission of God. And then the problem is the churches that understand this, they don't understand how to do it. The churches that go out and they do whatever it takes to reach those that are far from God, those are what are called evangelistic churches. And they think the way you go out and do that is you shove the Bible down someone's throat. You stand on a preach corner and you tell them everything they've done wrong and tell them to repent right there. You go door to door and you talk to strangers that you've never met and you have no relationship with and say, hey, if you're die today, you're 100% sure you go to heaven or would there be some doubt? I went to a Bible college. I know that surprises some of you. I went to a Bible college in a very, 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 very strict, independent, fundamental Baptist upbringing. Women couldn't wear pants. Uh, you couldn't, I don't know where this logic came from, but you couldn't listen to any music that wasn't 25 years old. No wonder I'm so messed up in the head. You couldn't, you couldn't go to the movies, but you could go to Blockbuster, Brad. I always thought that was funny. And, uh, it was a crazy movie. None of you can relate to that except Lisa who was singing today. And I don't even mean this in any disrespect. She, can, she grew up and her dad was like one of the leaders of this movement. He was the OG. Like, and when I was in Bible college, we studied her dad's books. He was a pimp. Like, man, like he used to bring thousands of kids in on school buses. And there was a lot of, the heart was in the right place. But the methods were so Horrible. We've lost touch with how to bring people to Jesus. <laughs> We've lost touch with what the mission of the church should be. We've lost touch with the reality of how we go about doing it. <laughs> the local church is an assembly of believers. The word church is literally the word ecclesia. It means a called out assembly of believers, and we're called to carry out the same mission that Jesus did. And our mission is to do whatever it takes to reach those that are far from God. Let me make this very clear to you. Our, uh, our, our mission is not to carry out the traditions of the church. With all due respect to your granny, I don't care how your granny used to do church. Our goal is not to carry out the traditions of our denomination. Our, our mission is not to carry out our preferences. Our mission is to do whatever it takes short of sin to reach those that are far from God. To create an environment where they can come in and realize that God loves them. God has a plan for their life and God loves them and has a plan for their life right where they are. Let me make this very clear to you. You're not Jesus and I'm not Jesus. It's not our job to change people. It's our job to love people. Our job is to love 
people right where they are. I am so thankful for a group of people who loved me right where I was 22 years ago. When I was unlovable, when the last thing on my mind was God, when the only reason I was going to church was to win a bet with a girl that I was dating and I had every wrong intention in my life of going to church, these group of people loved me and they showed me the love of God and God radically changed my life as a result. That's the mission of this church. It's not to cater to you. Don't, make, don't take it wrong. We love you. We hope you love it here. But if you have an ounce of selfishness in you, this church will not be the church for you. Because once you become an insider, we're all about outsiders. Someone said, you would choose, literally, we had a couple come to me and they said, I feel like you would choose this drug addict over here in his comfort over my family and our comfort. And I looked at him and I said, you're exactly right. Why is that? I said, because here's the deal. If I make you mad and you leave this church, I know you. You and your family will find another church. But if I run that person off, that might be the thing that makes them give up on God give up on the church and never want anything to do with it again. And I said, I love you and I don't want you and your family to leave. But you're mature enough in your faith to go somewhere else and they're not. And to this day, they still go to this church because they got it. There's a mission here. And it seems so simple because if you've attended Action Church or even if you don't attend church, you're probably thinking, well, duh. That seems like common sense. But it's not common sense. I feel like the church has become about everything and anything but Jesus. The church has become political instead of about Jesus. The church has become about money instead of about Jesus. The church has become about social standing instead of Jesus. The church has become about tradition instead of Jesus. The church has become about denomination instead of Jesus. The church has become about how great and big our kids' area is instead of Jesus. How big our building is instead of Jesus. What kind of music we have instead of Jesus. Dress code instead of Jesus. On and on and on and on I could go. Here's what it is. It's about Jesus. Quit complicating it. Like, do you just thrive in chaos? Do you just want it to be complicated? I just don't understand this book. You idiot. It says he came to seek and save the lost. You say, I can't believe you called me. If you don't understand that, you're an idiot. My seven-year-old would understand that. He has comprehension. Son, look what this verse says. It says, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, Dad. Why did he come? The lost. It ain't brain surgery. You keep complicating it. You keep making it difficult because you're so steeped in what you've been taught your whole life. You can't even back it up with the Bible. But you've been taught it. I did a series here one time. I thought about doing this series again and taking a whole new subject, a whole bunch of topics. I did a series. Remember when I did a series called God Never Said That? And I talked about all these things that people would literally fight you over that were in the Bible. And I said, God never said that. God never said that. God never said those things, but we act like God did. I should do that series again. We got to get back on the mission. 
I think there's a great story in the Bible. It's a story we founded this church on. I'm going to fly through it, and I'm getting out of here because my OCD is out of whack, and i got to get it back on whack by going to the same place I ate lunch every Sunday. I'm itching up here. First-time guests are like, we're never coming back to this crazy pastor. I understand. Trust me, I get it. Luke 15, now the tax collector is my favorite portion of Scripture in all the Bible. I've built my life off this portion of Scripture. Action Church exists because of this portion of Scripture. Now the tax collectors and the sinners, there they are again, the sinners and the tax collectors, two most evil people in the world, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that's the religious people of the day. Sound familiar? The religious people of the day muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Those that had a form of godliness, here's Jesus preaching, the Son of God preaching, and the religious of the day are complaining about Jesus. Someone asked me recently, I said, doesn't it bother you that all the other churches always are dogging you? I said, no. It means we're doing something right. We had someone attend our church four weeks ago, and I said, man, how did you find our church? They said, man, they were talking so bad about you at our church, we had to come check it out. I said, yeah. On mission. This man welcomes sinners, and he said, look, he, he eats with the ungodly people. He hangs out with those people. I love this verse. Love it. And verse goes on, and Jesus hears him, and Jesus answers them. And man, you got to love how Jesus answered. Jesus Jesus was kind of like Yoda. Like he would just answer in a story. He would never give you a straight answer. He would say, well, here's a story. But this one had him so riled up, he told three stories. He told one story that had a meaning. Then he told a second story that had the same meaning. Then he told a Third story that had the same meaning. He was so passionate about this subject that he wanted to make sure these thick-headed, religious, judgmental people got the theme of his message. And so he began to tell a story. He began to tell a story about a lost sheep. And I'm not going to read it all to you because it will wear you out, but here's the story. A man had 100 sheep. One of the sheep went missing. One of the sheep. So he still had 99 sheep. One sheep was missing, 99 were still there. And the story goes on that the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep, the ones that are safe. I don't know about you, but I don't know a job where you're operating at about a 99% efficiency ratio where you're not very successful. The shepherd couldn't deal with the one lost sheep being gone. So he left the 99 sheep, and he went out, and he found the one sheep. And the Bible says he threw the sheep over his shoulders, and he carried him back. And when he got him back, he called all his friends and said, hey, rejoice with me. Party with me. Man, then listen, listen, listen. I had lost one of my sheep, but I found it. And before they could say anything, he said, hey, there was this lady. She had 10 coins. The coins were valuable. They wrapped them around their heads, and it let the men of the day know they were virtuous. It was a very dignified and very important thing. And this lady lost one of her ten coins. She only has nine coins now. She doesn't look back and say, whew, good thing I still got nine of them. The Bible says she turned on the candles and she began to sweep the floor. And she stayed up all night till she found the one coin, the lost coin. 
And when she found the lost coin, it says she called her friends and said, man, rejoice with me. Come party with me. I found my lost coin. And then before the, the Pharisees, blah, 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 and he said, hey, let me tell you about this dad. He had two kids. And one of the kids went off into a wild world, and he went off partying, and he went and he squandered everything that he had. And the Bible says he came to himself and realized, man, I can go back and be a servant for my dad and live better than I'm living now. Now, the Bible says that he came back and started coming to his dad to ask for his dad's forgiveness and ask him if his dad would just hire him. It says the dad saw him, and he went running out to him, and he threw his arms around him. He didn't look at him and say, man, you worthless kid. I so wish you were like your brother. He turned around and said, kill the fatty calf, bring the best robe, put it on. My son that was dead is alive. Again, let's party. Three stories, three meanings, three things that Jesus was about as they judged him going after the sinners and the tax collectors. The first thing you need to notice is that in every story, they're aware that something was lost. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, verse 4. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one, verse 8. Not long after that, the younger brother's son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. In every story, something was lost. Here's what you need to realize today. We live in a community where 74% of the people who live in this community are not active members of a church. They feel like church is irrelevant to their life. They feel like church is judgmental to their life. They feel like they don't belong in the church. They don't believe like the church. But here's the funny thing. 74% don't attend church, but 83% identify as Christian. Their problem is not Jesus. Their problem is the church. The church has failed miserably. I've been stat pulling all week. I'm going from memory here. I've been in this town 15 years ago. I moved here 15 years ago and was one of the first people to start a church, I think, in like 20 years in this community. Became one of the fastest growing churches literally in the country. In the 15 years since I moved here and I started that church... Listen to this, about to have your mind blown. In 15 years, 87 churches have started in Cherokee County. 87 ch- churches. So the number of churches has grown by 87. Let's say 30 or 40 closed down. So it's grown by 40 or 50. And the rate of unchurches went up. You know why? Because all those churches did was start churches were they already convinced. All they did was fill their seats with people from other churches. They went after the disgruntled people in the other churches and said, hey, you're disgruntled there, come here and we'll cater to you. We'll stroke you and we'll coddle you and we'll give you everything you want because we need your offering every Sunday and where we can name our cool name and have our cool sign and our cool building and we can feel really cool about ourselves because at the end of the day we're pastors and we can't do anything else for a living because we got a cemetery degree, I mean seminary degree, excuse me, and this is what we're called to do. You can't say that, but I can because I am one. I've hung out with them. They'll all go listen to this podcast and gripe, but the truth hurts. I used to be that guy. People say, you're never down there. I don't need to be down here. 
He's pastor of a church with over 1,000 people. And if I'd actually stayed focused, I could have done my job in two days and been done. Pastors got the greatest job in the world. Let me rephrase that. Pastors that get paid. I don't know what that's like. But we're all about the lost. This church exists for the broke, busted, and disgusted. This church exists for those with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I can't stress to you enough, if you come into this church at first and, it, and, you're, and you're already a Christian and it doesn't make you just a twinge uncomfortable, we haven't done our job. Because I want you to come and I want you to be around those who normally wouldn't come into a church. I want to create an environment where those who feel like they can't go anywhere else. One, I remember one time saying, I don't understand your church. And I said, what don't you understand? And they said, it's just an odd mix of people. This was a few years ago. We had a lot of bikers coming to the church at the time. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you have a lot of gay people. Yeah. And you said, you have a lot of bikers. Yeah. And they said, you have a lot of addicts. Yeah, I said, they said, I'm not judging any of those three. I said, those three just don't seem to go together to me. I just don't know a lot of gay bikers. And they said, I don't get the common bond. And I don't mean this to be spooky. I'm talking about like the Holy Spirit of God hit me, and immediately my answer was, the common bond is they don't feel accepted in church, and they feel accepted here. I accept that we're the foyer to people's faith. People come to me all the time, why'd so-and-so leave? Why'd... Because here's what happens at a church like Action Church. People that have never done church come here, and they love it, and they get blown away by it. And they've got all their friends that have prayed they'd get in church, and mommy's been praying, and grandma's been praying, and they've come into church, and they come into church, and they're so excited. can't believe little Billy's going to church. And after about six months, little Billy's still going to church, and mom's like, I'm going to go to church with little Billy. I'm just so excited. And mommy comes to Action Church, and she suddenly ain't so excited anymore. And then she starts telling Billy, that was a great church, but you ought to go deeper. You need to go somewhere where you're getting fed. Now, little Billy can't do the two big things, love God and love people yet. Pastor, 20-something years, I still struggle with those two. But little Billy ought to go deeper. Then little Billy says like he needs to go deeper, and he goes to another church, and he, he's so blown away because he hears a different message than my same eight messages all the time. And he's like, oh, it's so great for about three weeks. Then little Billy realizes, I don't even understand what's going on here. No one's talked to me, and it's not friendly. And, and, and little Billy, he won't come back here because now he's embarrassed. Even though he shouldn't be, he's more than welcome to come back. And so little Billy gets out of church, and he's through to it over and over and over. Then I run into little Billy about eight months later. Hey, little Billy, where you been up to, buddy? Nothing. Where are you going to church? Well, I'm nowhere. Why don't you come home? Really? Yeah, you stupid idiot. Come on home. <laughs> little Billy comes back. I see it over and over. I'm good with that because here's what I know. Little Billy came in here and he gave his life to Christ and he had his life changed because this group loved him and accepted him and they met him right where he was. We're all about that thing that which was lost. It didn't make sense for the shepherd to leave the 99 sheep, but he did. He had to find that lost sheep. 
Now, here's the problem when you go find the lost sheep. Sometimes you'll get attacked as you're looking for that sheep. And you'll get accused of things. And sometimes the sheep that you're trying to save is so injured, they'll bite you. Woo, that's good preaching right there. I need to preach on cough medicine all the time. Sometimes the hurt sheep will bite you because it's hurt. It's trying to survive. When it does that, you just knock it out real quick and throw it over your shoulder. (laughs) It's the Gary Lamb version. Listen. Someone told me recently, I said, man, we've gone through so much craziness here. Maybe we just should chill a little bit. We're never going to chill a little bit. We're just not. I can't. I'd go crazy pastoring a normal church. I'd go crazy being, and I love normal churches because normal churches keep the normal Christians away from us. (laughs) I told you I went to a church one time. My kids were doing something at this church, singing or doing something. I don't know what they were doing. For some reason, I was there, and the pastor got up. It was an old country church. It was a great church, man. And they, I mean, old Southern gospel. I mean, it was like Jerry Lee Lewis on the piano. And like nobody could sing, but like everybody got to sing at the church. Like they sang for like an hour. It was horrible. And it was rough. And a uh, preacher gets up. He was brother so-and-so. And he got up. He said, that's so good to see Brother Lamb here. I'm the only one not in the suit. I'm trying to be nice. And I know his heart was in the right place. But here's what he said. Even though his heart was in the right, he couldn't have said anything more truthful. He said, he passes the Action Church. Now, some of you think that we wouldn't like a church like the Action Church. He said, but he's reaching all the people we don't want. <laughs> I know his heart didn't mean for it to come out that way, but he was telling the truth. He didn't want you crazy people there. <laughs> I don't think you want to be there. <laughs> Golly, there was something lost. Hey, you know something else in these three stories? They did whatever they could to find that which was missing. Once they found out something was lost, they just didn't say, man, it's lost, and throw up their hands in the air and ignore it. I think most churches would fall into category one. They would realize something is missing. They would realize that something is lost. The problem is it's easy to identify the problem. It's a whole other story to do something about it. They did whatever they took, whatever it took, to find that which was missing. Verse 4, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? He goes after it until he finds it. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Here's what I dig about the way Jesus is teaching this. He's teaching it like, isn't this common sense? These people are like, yeah, it is common sense. He'd leave the 99 and go after the one. That's what you do. Oh, yeah, she'd like that candle and look all night long. So he got up. This is the lost son here. And he went to his father. I love this story. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He didn't wait for the son to come to him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. They did whatever it took to find that which was missing. 
Let me tell you something. It might seem like chaos around Action Church. You couldn't be more wrong. You won't find a more intentional church than Action Church. There's a reason this church is decorated the way it's decorated. It's not very decorated exactly. We want you to come in if you're far from God and just feel like, man, I'm just in a regular place. This is a place I'd go hear music at. This is a place I'd go have a drink at. We don't want them to be intimidated walking in. We don't want them to feel like they've got to dress a certain way and act a certain way and look a certain way. You know why there's a reason why there's tables right here? People tell me, that you can't have people sit around tables in church. Why they, they, they love to sit around tables at a bar. It's funny, this fills up before this fills up. Why? Because there's something comfortable about it. There's something relaxing about sitting around tables. So, so what you see as chaos is intentionality to do whatever we can to make those far from God feel comfortable. There's a reason every Friday night and every Saturday night there's an AA meeting here. There's a reason we don't run a Christian recovery program. Because Christian recovery programs, as great as they are, they reach Christians. We want those that are far from God to come in the building. That's why on Friday nights there's over a hundred, listen to this, over a hundred, I've hit the age where they're kids now, over a hundred kids under 30 years old struggling with addiction next door. That's mind-boggling to me. You drive by here in this parking lot slammed on Friday nights. Here's the funny thing, a lot of them are there because they have to be. Those drug courts sent them. So they're here for the wrong reason. No, no, no. At least they're here. And they come into a building like, wow, this is church? It's crazy. You know the reason we do so much around here that we do wrestling matches here and concerts here that have bar? Because it's a building. It's nothing but a building. But we bring people in all the time. They're like, I didn't know there was a church that meets here on Sunday. I tell people, this is not a church. This is the action building. A church just happens to meet here on Sunday morning. I want him to come in here. I've been talking to a guy for about seven months. Just meet him where I go to work the other day. The other day he's like, a little irritated with you. I said, why? You didn't tell me who you were. I said, yeah, I did. You didn't tell me what you do for a living. I said, what are you talking about, you idiot? I told you I put on festivals and I have. Yeah, but you pastor a church. I said, well, I don't do that for a living. Do that for a hobby. But you never told me. I said, what does it matter? I wouldn't have acted this way around you. <laughs> I said, have you acted around me? I got to come check out that church. He'll come check it out real, real soon. He said, and he said I always knew there was something different about you. <laughs> I didn't know what this meant. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you cuss a lot. I said, well, I, I have a bad mouth. He said, but you do it with purpose. He said, a lot of people don't do stuff with purpose. I said, oh, okay. I mean, I get it now. I don't know what that meant, but if me cussing them out at the coffee shop and gets them to church, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get them to the coffee shop. This is a unique place. Answer that phone. Tell them you're in church. Put them on speakerphone. Let them listen. We're going to do whatever it takes to reach those that are far from God. If that makes you uncomfortable, I understand. Help me help you find a church that makes you comfortable.
I don't mean that in a mean way. I got a pastor friend here in town. He's probably the pastor I'm the closest with. And for whatever reason, everybody that leaves this church ends up at that church. So I saw him a few months ago. I said, hey, what are you doing, buddy? Nothing. I said, you got my paycheck? Oh, what do you mean? I said, well, let's be honest. I said, more people. I've sent more people to your church than you've ever drawn to your church. I said, so y'all start paying me. He said, man, you got, we got a lot of your people you've run off. I said, I'm glad you got them. Don't send them back. It's okay. I don't think the way we do church, let me make this clear if you're from another church. I don't think the way we do church is better. I don't think your church is wrong. I just think the way we do it is the way we feel called to do it. I get that every church doesn't have that same vision. That's okay. Different doesn't mean better. I'm not dogging your church. So if you feel like I'm dogging your church, that's between you and the Holy Spirit of God, and maybe you're getting convicted. Just saying. Last, and I'm done. We're going to do a little something different than the service that I'm pretty jacked about. They celebrated when it was found. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He's not mad. He's not yelling at the sheep for getting lost. He's just excited that he found it. He goes home. He calls his friends, his neighbor, and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need not to repent. Why are we about outsiders? Because heaven already threw you a party. Now heaven's ready to throw them a party. And when, he, and when she finds it, the lost coin, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found the lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Heaven rejoices when that which was lost becomes found. This ought to be a party. What the father said to his servants, Quick, quick, bring the best robe. He didn't look at the son and say, I told you so. I knew this would happen. He said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the Son of Man was dead and is alive again. He's lost and he's found. So they begin to celebrate. Let me make this very clear to you. This should be a party every Sunday morning. That's why the music's loud. That's why the music's fun. That's why the preaching is the way it is. That's the way the kids' area is the way it is. Listen, listen, listen. I've been to it. No, not, i got to do something with this. It's not time to put the flops back on. Listen. This should be the biggest party ever. This ought to be a bigger party than any football game, any baseball game, any wrestling match. You guys should come to some wrestling on Friday night. You want to see a group that knows how to party. They'll start tailgating four hours for the wrestling. Over wrestling. Fake men in underwear wrestling. <laughs> Grown men in underwear. Fake fighting. Where the winner is already known because I chose who won backstage. Hurt to burst your bubble there. How much more excited should we get over coming and serve a living God who radically changed our lives? I told you about the person who left our church when I said, I just, we loved everything about it, but it, I just don't think church ought to be that fun. 
don't go to heaven. You think heaven's going to... And that's the reason why no one's excited about heaven anymore. We've made heaven some solemn, boring place instead of the ultimate party. Singers rather sing about the party in hell, baby. There ain't going to be no party in hell. The party's in heaven. This ought to be a party every single week. I get so frustrated with churches because they make a big deal out of Easter Sunday. We've never made a huge deal out of Easter Sunday around here. It drives Phil. The Methodist comes out and Phil. It's Easter. I said it's Sunday. We have 52 Sundays a year. That's not many. We have 52 Easter services a year. What God's doing here is not normal. It's funny, I feel like we've been under attack like crazy, and everybody thought that was a death nail. Man, we've been packed out the last four or five weeks as the attacks keep coming. Thank God might be down with what we're doing. La Familia is bound together in vision. Our vision is to do whatever it takes to reach those that are far from God. We do that through honoring each other, unconditional love with each other, loyalty to each other, and united in a vision to each other. But I need you to understand something. That's not just the vision here. That's the vision on the other side of that wall in that kid's area. That's not daycare over there. That's not babysitting for your children. That is a group that is specially equipped to teach your children at their level. They don't understand what's going on in here. Teaches them at their level. And we're going to do something. This is how serious we take it. Joe Owens has served in a kid's area with me. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. For 15 years, at my previous church, he served in the kid's area. And over here, he serves in the kid's area. Here's the, most of you don't even know who Joe Owens is. Just like Phil volunteers, every single week up here as a volunteer, Joe volunteers every single week. He works his vacations, his job. When he's on vacation, <laughs> if he's on vacation, and the man takes 20 vacations a year because he's got the greatest job in the world, you can guarantee that something's going to go wrong and he's going to get caught at 7 o'clock on Sunday while he's out by the beach. And I don't feel bad for him. He's at the beach. But Joe's been in ministry so long now, serving faithfully, he's officially reached what I call old man status. And old man status is when people that you've known since they were kids are family members who love and respect you, have got to the age where they want you to start ministering to them through weddings and different things like that. In order to do that in the state of Georgia, you have to be ordained. And ordination comes in, in a church like ours. It comes from the church putting their approval on that individual. It comes from a church saying, we put our stamp on that individual. It takes an ordained person to ordain another person. Now, we live in a day and time where ordination has been watered down. You can go online, and you can take a two-minute class and get ordained. It means nothing. Ordination comes, the Bible says, be slow to lay hands on any man. It's when it comes when you've proven yourself and you've done that. And the Bible says this in 1 Timothy, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid hands on you. Joe Owens has a calling on his life. He has a gifting on his life. Let me tell you something. You don't think that's a gifting to work over there with your demon kid? Aunt, my kids are over there too. Demon kids over there? You must be crazy. I one Sunday had someone preaching. I said, I'm going to lead by example. 
I'm going to go to the kids' area first. I ain't going to lie to you, I lasted three minutes over there. And I felt the Lord calling me back over here. It was horrible. Some of you ought to feel the calling to come help Joe. But today, we're going to give honor. The Bible says give honor to whom honor is due. Remember, we talked about that the first week of the series. And we're going to honor Joe. We're going to bring him up, and we're going to ordain him today. Come on up, Joe. You can do better than that. Get on your feet for him today. Just stay right here. Now, here's what we're going to do. I know this is kind of kooky and kind of creepy, especially for those of you who didn't grow up in church. So I'm not forcing any of you down, but I'd like to see some of our people come down and gather around, and we're going to lay our hands on Joe, and we're going to pray for Joe, and we're going to ordain Joe for the work of the ministry, okay? So Scott's going to come up. For those of you who don't know, Scott is our elder here. We used to have a bunch of elders. We ran them all off. Scott's too stubborn to leave. So uh, it's going to be awesome. If you're, again, if, if you're a first-time person, I get, man, this seems a little kooky, but this is just our way of putting our stamp on a member of our family. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we thank you for Joe Owens. Lord, we thank you for his faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for his loyalty. Lord, I thank you that he has stood by me, Father. He has been my friend. Lord, I thank you that even in the periods where we drifted apart, Lord, you brought us back together and made our relationship stronger than ever. Lord, I thank you that he takes time out of his schedule. He takes time out of his work week Lord, to pour in to the next generation of our church, Father. Lord, we don't believe the kids are the next generation of our church. We believe they're the generation today of our church, Father. And Lord, I believe that in that group of crazy kids over there, Father, that are high-tying teachers right now is some of the next great leaders of the church. Lord, it blows my mind to think that, but Lord, I believe the next great missionaries are over there. I believe the next great preachers are over there, Father. Lord, I believe the... the next great people who are just going to go into the workforce and be shining examples for what a Christian should be are there today, Father, Lord, because people like Joe lead up and take time to do that, Father. Lord, I thank you that as a church, we get to put our stamp of approval on somebody. Lord, I thank you that we get to love on somebody, Lord, and we get to commission him to go out and carry out the work. Selfishly, Father, I'm glad now that he can do weddings and funerals where I don't have to do them, Father, and we thank you for that. And, Lord, I thank you for his family. I thank you for Tracy, Father, Lord, who serves by his side, Lord, and supports Joe in everything that he does. Lord, I pray as a church that we remember to lift him up daily and pray for him. Lord, that we are there when he's tired, Lord, that we're there to do life with him, Lord, when he needs helping hands, Lord, we're there to help out next door, Lord. And we thank you for the work that he's going to do. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you, Father, for Joe. And, Lord, we ordain him and Whip him for the work of the ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Awesome. You and me will get a picture after the service. I love you, buddy. We'll get a picture with him. Thank you. Appreciate you getting dressed up. Hey, isn't God good? I told you, a July series is kind of a weird series for us. And the band can come on out here. It's kind of an insider series for us. It's where we regroup and we refocus, and I I knew I wanted to teach this message. That's why I extended the series out a week. Next week, we're going to start a series called Chasing Blank, and we're going to talk about all the things in life that we chase, fame and wealth and notoriety and ego and security, and we're going to talk about all the things that we're chasing instead of chasing God. It's going to be a fun series.